Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. And once more, let us go into the breach, dear brothers and sisters, on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Please download the app, the Veritas app, share it with your friends, and please follow Joe and I We're, uh, on social media. Wherever you see us, like, subscribe, share, follow on Twitter, and do all that fun stuff. Today, we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program a friend of the show, uh, Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo. And uh, he has written a new book, Our Faithful Departed, Where They Are and Why It Matters. And that is available at Ave Maria Press. You know what I'm about to say out there. Please support our Catholic publishers. Um, so please buy it from the publisher or a local Catholic bookstore, if you need to. I'm sure it's available at one of the one of the larger outlets, right? But if you could avoid that and pick it up somewhere else that's supporting, you know, the Catholic Church and Catholic organizations, please do so. Now, many of you remember our conversation with Dr. DiLorenzo uh, that we had a while ago. Uh, having said that, just a brief introduction, Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo teaches theology at the University of Notre Dame which he also directs Notre Dame Vision within the McGrath Institute for Church Life. He was born in New Jersey. You know we had to throw that in. Um, currently, Doc, where do you live again? I'm in oh, South Bend, oh, Indiana. Oh, oh you're, that, yeah. duh. That I was really you. dumb on my part. Because you had mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned Ohio in our, no. before the show, and I'm like, okay. So yeah. anyway, South Bend, Indiana. Uh, he's the author of numerous books and speaks regularly across the country and internationally. Dr. DiLorenzo, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Hey, Joe and Joe. It's good to be here. Thanks so much. I think this is um, just, just on a personal note, you know, so obviously when people pass away, it makes you, uh, it makes you think about these things, our faithful departed. And maybe we could get into those who, let's say, for argument's sake, are, are not faithful departed and what the church teaches on that and what we could do as far as prayers and, 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 and the like. Um, I recently had a, a, somebody I know here in Arizona who I got to know pretty well passed away uh, all of a sudden, suddenly. So it's, it's, for me, it's, a, it, it's quite more of a pertinent conversation, um, even though we should all be thinking about this as Catholic. So thanks again for, uh, for coming on, Dr. DiLorenzo. With that, I'm going to hand it over to, uh, to Joe. It's our custom to always begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Doc, when I was like looking into this book and putting the outline together, you know, because we come from the same area. I, I'll just share a little story. You know, my dad, God rest his soul, passed away uh, two years ago, was big on going to cemeteries. In fact, he had a cemetery kit in his trunk. Only an Italian man from New Jersey would do this. <laughs> it had little clippers where he'd like trim around like the hedge stone. He had water. He had his like plant thing. He had He had a kit that he kept. And why do I bring that up? People don't do that anymore. Mm. Like now you're seeing, even in the news, 
in the state of New York, I don't know if you've caught this, you may actually, they're letting people decompose in soil for environmental reasons. The body is sacred. Like I saw that. I'm like, what a disgrace. I'll give you a word. It's a New Jersey word. You'll know it. That's disgrazia. Do you know what that word is? (laughs) That is utterly a disgrace. Talk about that because like people, like I grew up with that. We go to, to the cemetery to see my grandparents, to see my aunts. I still do it. I take my mother. People don't do that anymore. Yeah, I think especially as Catholics, our uh, basic belief, our fundamental belief is our belief in the communion of Christ, that Christ has made us one with one another and one in him, which gives us that union with one another. But, you know, as you're pointing out, I think the way in which we oftentimes, especially in the modern world, conduct ourselves relative to our faithful departed, to those who have come before us, to our beloved dead, or even to those that we seek not to love anymore, the way in which we act towards them is almost a counter movement oftentimes in the modern world of that communion in Christ. So, you know, as you're talking about, these seem like very strange practices, like you say your father did. My uncle Mario, also from Jersey, he was like a professional mourner. He would just look through the newspaper for funerals and go regularly to funerals, which I thought was the strangest thing in the world when I was a kid. But now that I think about it as an adult, I see something of the beauty of it. Possibly it's strange still. But here was this man who spent a good portion of his free time in retirement going and honoring those who had died, even people that he did not know. And I really see that as a profoundly Catholic action now to put himself in the place to take the time and the exercise of prayer and memory to honor those who have come before and actually to sort of commit himself to them, because that is the truth of our Christian faith that we are one in the body of Christ, and that union goes right through this interruption of death. Yeah, um, Dr. DiLorenzo is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. If, you, uh, if you're just joining us on the Veritas Network, his new book, Our Faithful Departed, Where They Are, Why It Matters, uh, please go out and buy it. It's available at Ave Maria Press. So, Dr. DiLorenzo, let me ask you this. Though. What was your inspiration uh, to write this book? couple of things. So I did my initial uh, academic research, my doctoral dissertation, in fact, on the theology of the communion of saints. And the way in which I went about that research was to kind of explore this mystery of the communion that spans across the chasm of death. Those who are in the glory of heaven, the souls undergoing purgation, and us, the pilgrim wayfarers. There's a line in the dogmatic constitution in the church, Lumen Gentium, in the seventh chapter, where it says that this union between these members of the church and the different states is in no way interrupted. And I thought, well, my goodness, there's an interrupt. Like, what is death if not the interruption, right? So my doctoral dissertation when I did my PhD was on this theology of the communion of saints to give a sort of systematic theological account of this communion, which meant taking death utterly seriously in order to take the hope and the promises of Christ even more seriously. So that was sort of the academic background. But then I think my own uh, experiences and experiences with people around me, in terms of this longing and loss at the death of our loved ones, we know in the 
in the church, especially, there's the tradition of the memento mori, remember you shall die, and live and act with your death in view, right, and your hope in uh, eternal life. But I found, I think, that it wasn't so much always the reminder of my own death or other people around me, the reminder of their own death to them that was so destabilizing. It was actually the death of their loved ones, the death of my loved ones that really causes us to come face to face with what it is we believe and what it is we hope for. So this book kind of came out of those two things, right? This academic research I had done, you know, a decade or more ago in my doctoral work and Kind of reckoning with these real spiritual uh, battles that we go through in terms of feeling and really confronting loss and separation, what feels like the end of relationship, the kind of longing and groping for meaning when it seems like there is no meaning because death has intervened. All right, Joe Rasinello. I want to talk about that a little bit. Like you mm -hmm. say, like like that statement of really nothing has changed, but in fact it has. And I, it, it, as you were saying that, it was making me think of a conversation I had with a nun once. Um, and I, I used to uh, be very close. I still am to a degree, but now I'm married with the missionaries of charity. And when they die, a nun would die. They would have a service and they would just move on with their life. And I would, and I've gone to a few of those services and I used to be like, like almost like, I mean, this sounds almost callous, but like these women are like, almost like it, it doesn't even matter. Like, like, because I'm Italian as you are, like Italians mourn like crazy people. Like, 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 like they do. I mean, like I've seen it in my own family. It's just our nature, it, our, our emote. That's just how we are. Um, and I was talking to this nun about it and she basically just said, Joe, death is just like moving from one room to the next in a house. And she said it so matter-of-factly, and it made me think, because they're very holy women, very close to God, um, I think the closer you are to God, that doesn't mean you don't mourn. Padre Pio mourned for his own you know, mom, and it, it, it doesn't get any holier than him. He had holes in his hands. But I mean, like, when you're very close to God, that's how you look at it. It's mm. just like this person has, they died in a state of grace. I will see them again. They're on their way, and now I'm still here, and I'll pray for them. Talk about that, because I've never heard such a statement and said so matter-of-factly. It's just like moving into another room. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I suppose I have some concerns about that idea. No, not please, to, Not to disagree you know, with Sister here, but it would seem to suggest that those who do grieve or actually going through the stages of mourning or in some way lacking in faith or in some kind of spiritual richness. Like I should be able to just let this person go and to, you know, entrust them to God and therefore not be so bothered. But I'm not quite sure that's the case. I, you know, I learned something from, I don't know, like my hundredth reading of Augustine's confessions. I've read it over and over again, mostly because I've taught it, but I, came to see at some point the way in which St. Augustine uh, confronts the death of others. In, and I'll just give you a little of the background on this. In book four of the Confessions, which happens uh, earlier than what we'll get to, the death of his, his closest friend occurs. And Augustine eventually says, and black 
grief enveloped me. In other words, everywhere he looked in the world, it was nothing but meaninglessness and death because this friend was not there. He had nothing to do with it. There was no meaning for him. It was just loss, loss, loss. He also, interestingly, never shares the friend's name because who is that friend to him? It's just my friend. He didn't actually cherish him as this this person that he was for his own sake and the gift of the friendship. Okay, that's book four. In book nine, Augustine encounters or retells the story of three other deaths. First is his good friend Nebridius, with whom he came into the church about the same time. He now is commending Nebridius to the love of God. The second death is the death of his own son, Augustine's own son, Adiodatus, and he speaks in some ways glowingly of his son, but he also recognizes in his son that whatever merit and goodness there was in his son was a gift from the Lord, and he thanks the Lord for that gift. But in the end, it's the death of his mother, Monica, which where the most profound transformation takes place for Augustine. He is even more grieved than he was at his two previous friends, or even the death of his son. The death of his mother racks him to his core. But he now, by this point, having become Christian and having trusted himself to the church, can do something with his grief. And what he does is he offers his own prayers for the remission of his mother's sins. He says, I've known of no holier person than this woman, but Lord, you know her. And if there are sins there to remit, I beg you, Lord, please, by my tears, remit those sins for her. But he eventually gives himself over in obedience to his mother's own wishes. His mother, before she died, said to her, said to Augustine, Augustine, there is one thing I seek from you, and that is to remember me daily at the altar where the Lord's sacrifice is made. And so Augustine, in the end, turns with all of his grief as an action of mourning to bring his prayers, his laments, his works of charity to the altar for the sake of his mother and unites it to the sacrifice of the Lord. Now, the reason I bring this up in response to what you were sharing, Joe, is there wasn't in any way that Augustine wasn't grieving deeply at the loss of his mother. But in his exercises of mourning, he made it into an offering of praise, an exercise of faith, and united that grief to the sacrifice of the Eucharist, believing and trusting that the Lord will take her and unite him to her in his body. And I think that's the kind of practice in today's world that we have to recover, which comes both by what we do individually, but also what we do in our parishes, what we do in our families, what we teach children in schools. This is how we find meaning in the world. We turn to the communion of Christ and we offer everything there, the good, the bad, the lamentations, the offers of praise. It's really a Eucharistic formation, I think, in the end. We're gonna, uh, Dr. DeLorenzo, we're definitely going to talk about the Eucharist in a little bit, but let me let me stay on let me stay on that. Obviously, you were talking about the relationship between Augustine um, and his mom. Uh, what what is and you gave an example, which I think is a beautiful example of, of her request to remember her at the altar with your tears. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful you know it's a beautiful it's it's hard because we're talking about death, but but it's a beautiful image. Uh, what can we do? Uh, let's say on a very pride, what should we recover as Catholics in, when it comes to how we are to follow through with our our our, our faithfulness 
in our you know in our relationship with those who as we said they're they're mm -hmm. not dead they've they've moved on okay uh mm -hmm. they're in another state uh, another state of being uh but nonetheless uh what are we supposed to do what 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 ought we do yeah so by the end of this book i try to focus on these things in particular because this is always the question that we'll have as people who are learning about these things is so you know therefore so what like what do i how do i respond what do i do i'll mention a few things i think part of this is not just about those who find themselves grieving now like you don't you haven't chosen this time to grieve grieving comes because there is a loss that has happened right like there's a death that's happened instead of just putting all the work of grieving and the exercises of mourning on those who can't help but grieve i think the main thing we must do here as a church is learn how to mourn together even when it is not my personal loss. And what does that mean? So to go back to what you were saying earlier, Joe, about like your dad going to these cemeteries, right, and having a kit. Okay, that might not be the, the practice that people take on, but in our parishes, our parishes should be places where there is more regular remembrance and offering of prayers and works of charity for the sake of our faithful departed, our beloved dead. That means sort of liberating the remembrance of our dead from the month of November. November should be the font, the beginning, the renewal of that commitment to living in communion with our beloved dead, and not just from November 1st to November 30th, the boundaries of that exercise. I think that it's important, especially, I'll just kind of pick something else, especially in our modern age, which is very digital, which is very much in some ways enhanced and in other ways crippled by our technologies, it's important that we commit ourselves to keeping alive and passing on the memories of those that we've loved. There's this Super Bowl commercial I saw a few, or a, a commercial I saw during the Super Bowl a few years ago called Loretta. And that's the name of the commercial. It was a Google commercial. And it's this elderly man who has been recently become a widower who's telling Google, speaking into Google, Google, remember this, Google, store this, Google, do that. He's speaking about his now deceased wife, Loretta. And what Google is doing is sorting all of his memories for him, sort of cataloging all of these pictures, reminding him, setting reminders of, for him about what Loretta used to laugh at and what Loretta used to like. It seems like a lovely commercial, except what's missing? Literally everybody else. Where is the family? Where is the community? We offload this work of memory to our technology to remember for us, but that makes us less than human. So what else should we do, Joe? I think we should take on that hard work of memory as a counter practice to that. I know a friend, I have a friend who told me that his grandmother, whose husband died, his grandfather several years ago, took on the regular practice of every month, writing a letter to her family about their grandfather or something about their family life and would send out these letters, 12 of them a year, to her kids and grandkids. And when they would get together for family reunions annually or every couple of years, they'd spend some time talking about these memories. What was happening is that family was becoming the bearer of the memory, not the device, not the technology. I think we ought to really seriously think about that in our modern lives, in our parishes, in our families, how we become the bearers of memory for one another. That work is part of the work of us becoming more fully human together, I think. 
Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Please go out and buy his book, available at Ave Maria Press. Doc, uh, while we're on it, where uh, where are all the places our audience could buy the book? So Ave Maria Press, as you mentioned on their website, um, hopefully Catholic bookstores are stocking this across the country. But you know the way this goes, like some of them will have certain books and not others. So hopefully you'll find them there. And then, of course, it's available in those places that you could imagine online. It's on Amazon, Amazon. Barnes and Noble, all that stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and the books, uh, the title of the book is Our Faithful Departed, Where They Are and Why It Matters. Joe Resinello. I want to unpack that relationship between Monica and Augustine a little bit more. Okay. You said a lot there, and there's so much to discuss. Yep. Here you have two saints, and you have one saint basically saying to another, <laughs> I'm not going to heaven directly. It, she doesn't say it, but she's saying that. Pray for me. And he says, okay. Why do I bring that up? Because everyone thinks they're going to heaven. Hmm. Another thing you said, which is interesting, is – Augustine says to says, well, I know my mother and she was very holy and I buy it because she was, she's a saint, yeah. but I don't know her the way God does. I want to unpack that too. Again, everyone thinks they're going to heaven, everybody and God willing, we all do, but that's not the way it works in Catholic teaching because we have to be perfect. Joe, I, I only I, I rarely interrupt you, but I, I would love for Dr. DiLorenzo to pick up on what you just said. But I want to throw in one thing also, I think, that complements it a little bit. Speak to this, if you would, Dr. DiLorenzo. Yep. Joe's point where someone dies, they're in heaven. If you question that, you're anathema. OK, <laughs> and then there, but there is, I will say, also the flip side. So and so was so terrible they couldn't possibly be in heaven. That's why I'm sorry, Joe. No, it's I good. I, let's I think, talk about it. Because what I was going to get to later, and I'm glad you brought it up now, is where where is the balance there? Because obviously the reality is that there is a heaven that, and there is a hell. And but however, it's not for us to determine where that person is, whether on the the, the whether on the plus side or, or, or the minus side. Uh, speak to that a little bit, because I I quite frankly, Doctor DeLorenzo, I don't like when people do that. I don't do that. Um, I pray. I mean, whether yeah. a person I think is in heaven or not. Talk, talk about that. You know where we're going with the question. I do. Yeah. Let me, let me maybe offer a, a different, a different perspective or starting point for us to think about this together, which is that is to actually think about what heaven is. I think many of us operate with the assumption that heaven is a place that we get into. That we're sort of. You know, this is sort of the popular imagination, like you do certain things, you're found worthy in a certain way, you've received the love of God to such a degree that you're admitted, like into an amusement park, and the whole point is to be admitted. But what we ought to sort of challenge ourselves on is coming to believe and imagine that heaven is nothing less than and nothing other than communion with one another in Christ. That itself is heaven. It is with Christ, that's heaven. It's not a place that Christ lets us into. It is communion with him. So when we come back, let's say, to this um, example of Augustine and Monica, there's another way of seeing this, too, that it, yes, we could think that Augustine was praying that Monica could be admitted to the place if she was found in some ways unworthy, as all are to receive that gift. And yet, the other way to imagine this is that what Augustine is doing, offering his own tears, exercising charity for his mother, 
is already for him the foretaste of heaven, because that's what heaven will be, offering charity unceasingly to one another and holding nothing back from one another, receiving everything from one another. So as part of this book, for example, I did a whole section on the properties of the glorified body, which is not something we typically think about, the four properties of the glorified body. Well, to reflect on those is to reflect on what we shall be when the promises of Christ are made full in us, in the resurrection of our bodies. But it's also a way of seeing, I guess on the one hand, how we are short of that now, but also how our exercises of charity and prayer are a preparation for that glory. So what ought we do for people that we would believe are worthy of heaven, but we maybe need to pause and hesitate. We should err on the side of mercy. We should err on the side, err, I suppose, err on the side of offering sacrifices for them. The sacrifice of our prayer, the sacrifice of our works of charity, never failing to remember them at the Eucharist. But what about those for whom it is very difficult for us to see or to believe that they would be made one in Christ, that they would experience the joy of heaven? Again, we should err on the side of mercy. It is also for our own good that we take on these commitments and practices of praying for them and offering sacrifices for them. It is not just for their good, it's for our own. It makes us into something, makes us more capable and ready for the joy of heaven itself. Does that make sense, this way of thinking about it a little bit differently? No, than it, it, we tend it makes to. all the sense in the world. I mean, and the reason why, you know, the reason why I, you know, I put it the way I did, yeah. because, you know, I've gotten in, I've gotten into arguments, literal arguments, mm. because I've, I've very made, simply made a statement about someone, and I won't get too detailed, I don't want to insult mm-hmm. anybody who might be listening, um, but, uh, but somebody very close to me who died. And I kept emphasizing to another person who I'm also very close to pray for that person. I'm going to be praying for them to the day I die. In other words, I'm going to, you know, because, because I am unsure. Number one, forget about whether I'm unsure. None of us know the state of the soul, uh, mm-hmm. any, any soul. We don't know somebody's, uh, what God's action was at the moment of their death and what maybe perhaps the person's response was. And I've gotten into drag, you know, really bad arguments. Like, why are you judging them? <laughs> Because I'm praying for them, I, I'm judging them. Do you think that I like I got like I said? Do you think that that so and so died and just like what? The, the the angels just came down and took them up to heaven? No, you got to pray. You got to pray for the souls. You don't know the state of the human person. And if you really here's I guess my larger point: if yep. you really love that person, you're humble enough to know that we don't know. Christ does, and it's our job. And I think, as you said, Doctor Di Lorenzo, to offer a sacrifice. Offer a mask. Go get a mask card and have a mask prayed for that person. Joe and I, I'll just tell you, uh, what for our fathers, uh, a good Franciscan priest offered uh, the 30 Gregorian masses. Mm. That is that is something the church offers. Um, not everybody has to do it. We did it because we felt it was important. But if, I can't believe that, really, before the break, I'd love for you to, to comment on that. I was accused of being judgmental because I said, why don't you just continue to pray for that person? How's that for a start? Yeah. You know, my youngest, especially my youngest daughters, who are now four and six, 
most nights at our family's evening prayer, when we offer some petitions, one or both of them will pray for Joe, Grandpa Joe and Grandma Shirley. Grandpa Joe and Grandma Shirley were our next door neighbors for several years um, before they both died in their 90s. Wonderful, generous people. My daughters, who are now six and four, were very young when Joe and Shirley died, and they have some vague memories of Joe and Shirley. But the reason they pray for them every night is because their older siblings had prayed for Joe and Shirley and mom and dad had prayed for Joe and Shirley soon after their death in the year following. And now it's become part of the regular sort of rhythm of prayer for my daughters. Now, a, a skeptical person might say, well, they're doing it without thinking about it. You know, they're they're, they're just relying on routine. Okay, well, if their routine is to, again, err on the side of remembering these people who would be very easily forgotten by them, those two people loved my daughters. They held them in their arms in their home. They snuck cookies to them whenever they could. Grandpa Joe let them sit on the riding lawnmower at every possible opportunity. And what are my girls doing? They're remembering those beautiful people in their prayer each and every day. They're not judging them, but they are offering a prayer for them. And I think we as adults, we get kind of puffed up on our own sophistication. We have to analyze everything. What if we just erred on the side of remembering, you know, then we are actually exercising the belief that we ought to have, which is that we are members of one another. Dorothy Day says, if you can't believe that, act as if it were true. And Dr. DiLorenzo, that, leave, leave it there yeah. for a second. I'm All sorry, right. we're coming up on a break. We're with Dr. Cool. Leonard DiLorenzo, his book, Our Faithful Departed, Where They Are, Why It Matters, Ave Maria Press, local bookstores. If you have to, buy it from Amazon and Barnes & Noble. By all means, go out and buy the book. This is a great conversation. We have another segment coming up with Dr. DiLorenzo. Stick around. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosanello. We are way in the breach with Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo, uh, PhD, teaches theology at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, his book, Our Faithful Departed, Where They Are and Why It Matters, available at Ave Maria Press. Dr. DiLorenzo, I did, we, uh, d before the break, uh, you did say the quote from Dorothy Day. For those who are just joining us, uh, please repeat that. So Dorothy Day said, you know, as Christian, and now I'm paraphrasing a little bit, and then I'll get to it. As Christians, we ought to believe that we are members of one another. But it's very hard for us to always live in that belief. It's a hard belief to actually allow to take flesh in us. So what she says, she's so practical in her holiness. She says, if you can't believe it with full intention, act as if it were true. The as if. Act as if we are actually members of one another. And I think what she's saying is by practicing it, we learn to believe it in the long run. And that's a really beautiful thing, I think. It's this practical holiness of Dorothy Day. She also says on the very same page in the very same essay, she takes this question that the French poet Charles Pigui put forward. He basically said, what if when we come to heaven, there is this question given to it, each of us? 
The question is, where are the others? Now, that is a question that changes things. If the question given to each of us is, where are the others? It is saying that we are responsible for one another. We are indeed members of one another. We ought to carry others with us through our prayer, through our works, through the way in which we live toward the communion with God in heaven. And I think that's a revolutionary kind of thought. It changes our perspective to stop thinking about me and my holiness and my salvation and rather come to believe, as is true of the church, that salvation is only ever me as a member of this body of Christ, not just me individually, singularly. Uh, well, I, listen, Dr. DiLorenzo, that's why we have you on the show. We told you before the last time, you know, we learn as much as our audience does. And that's why the see a lot of the, or much of what you're saying. I mean, you're just, you're, you wrote a book putting out there what the church already teaches. And I, I think the problem is we, 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 again, we have a lot of distractions, of course. Uh, we, there's so many ideas going on out there and we forget. Sometimes we just have to sit down and listen, shut up and listen. Okay. Uh, two people like you, I'm not just saying that to people like you on these important matters. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest takeaways I'm going to take from this is to remind that you've reminded me that you're right. You don't get a ticket. You didn't buy a ticket to go to heaven. All right. Um, you know, you, 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 you have to, what you know, to die in the relationship, the proper relationship with Jesus Christ and understand how that played out in your life. That's the most important thing. And I, mm -hmm. it's what I'm taking away and from the Dorothy mm -hmm. Day quote also, Joe Rasinello. I want to circle back to two things you said, air on the side of mercy and heaven is in an amusement park. And I'm going to link them. Right. Um, if I'm sure you have read it, and I recommend to all our listeners to read it, is the diary of Faustina. I believe she'll one day become a doctor of the church. I am Joe Stradamus, by the way, Doc. So I am predicting that publicly <laughs> she will become the fourth female doctor of the church with a fourth grade education. She says that at the hour of death in that book, God reaches a hand to every soul. I believe that um, because God is mercy. He came for sinners. So let's just couch that thought. Now let's couch what heaven is. Heaven is in an amusement park. Heaven is sitting in front of the beatific vision. And saints have said the road to heaven is heaven itself. So if we're not interested in sitting in front of the beatific vision now, <laughs> which means going to adoration, being a practicing Catholic, what makes a person think, and I'm going to throw this out there, they're going to want to be in heaven because mm. heaven isn't an amusement park. It is sitting in front of the beatific vision and being at peace with that in a way that we can't understand because we are not pure. None of us are. Juxtapose those two positions. Obviously, if Christ reaches a hand in the hour of death to someone they then are taking that hand on his terms, and he will, in his way, in his time, make them reach that state. But heaven isn't great adventure. <laughs> you know, like, and, like, and I think there's yeah. a misconception there. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, I think you're scratching the surface of the true necessity of the doctrine of purgatory, and maybe I'll get to that in yeah, just please. a moment. But one of the things that comes immediately to mind as you're, as you're drawing that out is this sermon by John Henry Newman, even before he came Catholic, it's one of his earlier sermons, it's called Holiness is Necessary for Future Blessedness. And at the center of this sermon, what he basically says is that if an unholy soul, let's imagine an unholy soul were admitted, permitted to 
join the festival of heaven. What we ought to rightly see is that for the unholy soul, heaven would be hell because they would not enjoy it, right? So to your point, like who enjoys heaven, the communion with Christ? Those who are willing to have their desires transformed into the desire for Christ, for the desire for what and who he is, for the desire for charity. He is, Henry John Henry Newman is preaching to these very sort of like elite scholarly people at Oxford at this point. He's saying, you know, most of us, most of the time, imagine when we do imagine heaven, that whatever we currently like, whatever our current preferences are, we'll just get those in heaven and we'll get them maximized. So to your point about like heaven is a great adventure, or like everybody likes the amusement park, right? Or whatever your particular idea of the amusement park is, that's what we imagine heaven will be. And he says, no, no, no. There is a far greater discipline and joy to heaven. Heaven is having our desires completely transformed to become one in the desire of Christ, one in the desire for the good of one another. Not each of us having all these various separate and oftentimes conflicting desires. That wouldn't be heaven. That would be another image of hell, he said. Okay. The other point here is so, therefore, you know, as you're saying, if uh, salvation in some way is offered to each, let us just take our own selves. Like, let me just take myself right now. If I am honest, do I really desire fully and completely the joy of Christ, the life of charity? And you know what? To be honest, I don't fully, completely desire it right now. I want to desire it, but I know I don't because my heart is kind of split in a number of different directions. The, the work of the Catholic life in many ways is being healed of all those disparate desires of getting things out of order, disordered. Uh, wrongly prioritized so that Christ can renew my heart and teach me the charity I ought to have for my brothers and sisters, the sort of devotion I ought to have for him. So what is purgatory? Now we're into Benedict XVI, Joseph Ratzinger in his book on eschatology, when he's writing on purgatory, he basically says what I just said. I learned it from him. He's not learning it from me. That if we're honest at all, we would see that a great number of us, and I think he's saying all of us, at the moment at this very moment, are not quite yet fit for heaven. We don't desire communion with Christ fully. And so he's basically pointing out the necessity of the doctrine of purgatory, whether the penance happens in this life, our desires being transformed, or the way in which Christ makes us free upon our death uh, to become capable of heaven, we ought to recognize we are not yet conform to his image fully, and we must be made to fit his image. That's what it means for us to truly become ourselves. And it requires us, therefore, to be exercising this charity for one another, caring for one another, uh, being receptive to the gifts of one another, because that is what heaven will be, this utter charity among the members of his body. Let me you let know, me piggyback my... on this for a sec because I went to confession with Andrew Apostoli. You, you probably know who he is. Uh, he he's a famous Franciscan friar of the Renewal, founded the Sisters of Life. He's big into Fatima. Um, I think he could become a saint. Maybe that's another Jostradama statement, but we'll see. Anyway, I went to confession with him, and he's kind of a famous priest, and he scared the hell out of me. I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. And this is what he said. He's like, I want you 
he was like an Italian guy from the Bronx. He was yeah. like, I want you to pray this prayer because you don't want to go to purgatory. You want to go straight to heaven. Mm. And why do I bring this up? As practicing Catholics who hear my voice and us, and to piggyback on what you said, we got to do our deal now. Like, as only someone from New Jersey would say, like, we have to purify ourselves. Take care of your business. Now. <laughs> what do we do? By how, what do we mean by that, Joe? What do you mean? Mm. Sacrifice. Die to self. The mm. way to go to heaven, the way I see it, as a father of five, and this is my vocation, and I resist it. Uh, you, you made me think of that. The death of my own self. I'm not going to be nailed to a cross, but I must die to myself and pour out my life. And when I do that completely, then I am ready. Mm. We have to work on that because mm. that's how we get in. Not just like, like quickly, but we resist it. But that's something like anything, an, an athlete. We have to be aware of that and work on that. Talk about that, the pouring of self out. As Andrew Apostle, you want to get right into the door. You don't want to go to yeah. purgatory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it makes me think about uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, and in particular, the way in which he treats purgatory there. And we could probably do, you know, 10 episodes on the Divine Comedy. We'll just keep it to this little segment here, if you don't mind. But one of the things in Dante's imagination there, which is an imagination that's just sort of fueled by scripture and the tradition, right? Is he say, he sees these souls that are in purgatory. What is the point at which they're lifted out of purgatory and elevated, raised into the state of the Paradiso? It is when they themselves believe they are ready. Like they have to, in some ways, consent to being elevated to heaven their whole humanity has to be restored so that their yes is utterly free and utterly full. So this dying to self that you're talking about, Joe, like this is there in the letters of St. Paul, right? Like Paul is saying, I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I should do and want to do. He is confessing himself that I am a sort of mess of desires and I wish, I hope, I pray that my desire can become complete and directed and full. And yet I know I'm not there yet. When I am there, when I am remade completely in the image of Christ, then I will be prepared to fully receive the joy of heaven. But God imposes himself on no one. It's not a, it's not a sort of hostage thing. It's not a kidnapping. It's not a, a break-in. God doesn't come by force. God woos us and elicits our love from us and wants us not just to make sacrifices so that we can get a reward, but so that we love what these sacrifices are. They're a way of participating in God's life. Right now, I don't love in that way fully, but I've tasted it at times, right? There are times when I've lived that way. And if I pray on that, and I remember it. I know that's what I really want. And yet the cost, it seems heavy, right? To actually give my life over in that way. That's what's being made of us, I believe, as Christian disciples throughout our lives, is becoming more capable of the cost of love, of learning to love the way of Christ himself. Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo is joining us here at the Frontline with Joe and Joe. Please go out and buy his book, Our Faithful Departed, Where They Are, Why It Matters. That's available at Ave Maria Press, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and hopefully your local Catholic bookstores. Um, 
Man, there's there's so many places I want to go, Doc, to, to, to ask you. Um, but let, let's do this. Some people out there may be listening to us here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network are say, all right, but how do, how do I do these things practically? You guys are talking about getting the relationship right, you know, doing, you know, getting everything right now. I'll, I'll, I'll offer something out because, again, that's why Christ gave us a church so that we didn't have to go out and search for those answers. The church gives us the means by which we can we can get in to the proper communion that you were discussing earlier, that proper communion with Christ, that right communion with him, the sacraments, mm. the sacraments. Or as you mentioned earlier, how about, and Joe mentioned out, mentioned sacrifices. If you are able, let's say in the morning and you attend your, let's say uh, you could get to morning mass at times, find out, or, or you're off a day for, find out when, uh, when, yes, there's going to be a funeral mass and go and, and go, go to the mass, go, go and, 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 and participate in that mass. There's a lot of things we could do, but the church gives it to us. Yeah. And I think the most important one and where I want you to talk about is um, is uh, the sacraments, because ultimately, we, uh, you know, let's not and I, you know this. But for those out there, uh, let's not get it. You know, let's not get it wrong. The, it's Christ that heals us and, help, and may, helps us to do this. We don't really do this on our own. All we have to do is really kind of say yes to him. So I, I would recommend doing that in the sacraments. Dr. DiLorenzo, what are your thoughts on that? So maybe if we focus on the sacri- the sacrament of the Eucharist and a particular moment of the Mass that I think often gets overlooked, and that is the moment of the uh, offering of the gifts and the prayer over the offering. So if you imagine, you know, your typical uh, liturgy here, moving from the liturgy of the Word to the liturgy of the Eucharist, in many Catholic parishes, you'll have some people who will bring up the gifts to the altar. Or let's say it's a daily Mass and they're not actually physically brought up, the priest will will receive these gifts, the bread and the wine from somewhere else outside the sanctuary, bring them, and they'll be brought to the altar. What's happening there, I think we should stop and really ponder and allow this to be a, a place where we renew our own spiritual practices. The Lord does not... Let's, let's put it this way. The Lord's sacrifice is, of course, the great sacrifice. This is the gift that surpasses every other gift. But in the humility of our God... He gives us this gift by responding to the gifts that we bring forward. In fact, what's happening in the Eucharist is we ourselves are being dignified by our Creator. Now, what we bring forward and the sacrifices we make pale in comparison to the magnificent sacrifice and gift of the Eucharist. But it's the bread that we bring forward, the wine that we bring forward that is used and is consecrated to become that body and blood. What does that mean for our own spiritual practices as Catholics who may go to church once a week or may make our way there on a daily basis? When we go to that Eucharist, we ought to prepare ourselves to bring something with us. What ought we bring? Here are the prayers I bring, Lord, to send to this altar as my offering with that bread and wine. I offer this. And it should be a prayer that we pray beforehand, and perhaps we pray at Mass. Or, here are the works that I have done since the last Mass till now. I offer these to you, Lord, as part of my sacrifice. Receive them. Take them. Bless them. Break them. Give these back to me as your body and blood, as you promised to do. But then when we leave the Mass, right, when we're sent forth from the Mass, we're also sent forth with his body and blood, his very presence, to now offer our own sacrifices. And you could say, 
bring those sacrifices back to that altar. If we thought of our lives as bound from that altar, going from that altar and back to that altar, what we receive and what we give, that is how we are being formed very deeply through the sacraments into the image and likeness of our Lord learning how to offer our own sacrifices into his sacrifice and take his sacrifice and unite it to the sacrifice of our lives. That, my friends, I think is one of the key places where we can offer the prayers for our faithful departed, the works for our faithful departed. We receive the life from the altar and we bring that back to the altar and ask the Lord to unite our faithful departed to his blessed body. Thank you so much for that. that I, I have never really thought of it that I mean, it, it might seem obvious to some people. I never thought of it that way is, yeah, the, the Eucharist, if that's the center of our lives, make it the center, go out, go back. It's <laughs> go the, back and the bring source it. and the summit, right? Like it's a way of actually exercising the belief in the source and summit of the Christian life from the altar back to the altar. Yeah. Thank you. I, I mean this sincerely because I, I never thought of it. That just thank you for that, Joe Rasinello. I want to talk about heaven again uh, because it's <laughs> okay. God's house. This is how I used to teach it when I taught RCIA. Yeah. in a very simple way. Heaven is God's house, and we get into God's house on His terms. Yeah, His terms. It's His house. Just like if I come in your house and you have a white carpet, and you're like, Joe, take off your shoes. I don't want to. <laughs> you can't come in the house. <laughs> well, heaven is God's house, and we yeah. have to get in on God's terms. Now, God's terms are the Catholic Church. Why? Because you can't separate the head from the body. The body is the body of Christ, and it's God's house, which means when we're in heaven, there's not going to be a million opinions running around. You get on Catholic social media, everyone's got their opinion. Yet everybody's go on, go on Catholic go on Catholic Twitter and you'll yeah, find out how many opinions opinion, there are out but there. But in heaven, it's one opinion. It's God's opinion. You're either yeah. on board or you're not. Well, yeah. guess what? We have that here in the church, in the teachings of the church. They're written down. Another thing I used to say, as only a man from New Jersey could say in an RCIA class, Catholicism is painting by numbers. It's all written down. <laughs> read it. You could read, read it, and then do it to the best of your ability. Talk about that. Because again, we have this misconception of heaven. We're not going to have a million opinions. It's God's opinion that matters. But we have that opinion here, which means we have to strive for it. And when people don't, and I'll give it, let, I'll, I'll turn it over. People say, well, well, I do this. Who gives you that authority? Who mm. are you? Mm. I, I'll listen to God, to you when you raise yourself from the dead. There's only <laughs> one guy who did, and I'm going to listen to him. And he founded one church. That's why I'm Catholic. Talk about it. I'm sorry. I got crazy. <laughs> That's great. That's all right. Dr. DeLorenzo has been on the show before. He expects <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, I had a couple cup of coffee, couple cups of coffee before I came on. I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> you knew you um, need an extra one. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think about the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son begins this way. A man had two sons. We often think about the parable of the prodigal son as probably primarily about that younger son, and then maybe secondarily about the elder son who we sort of neglect and we have to be reminded about. But the parable actually begins by naming the primary subject. A man had two sons. 
The father is the center of the parable. The younger son neglects and rejects the terms of his father's home. He wishes his father dead. He takes his share of the inheritance, which isn't due to him anyway. He spends it on everything he wants, and he's left with nothing. When he comes back, he encounters the way of his father's house, his father who makes room for him. Where is his true good? His true good is to be there with his father according to the terms of his father's house. That part of the parable ends with the, the festival beginning, but we don't hear how that younger son changed or what it became like for him to learn to love his father's house. It's left open for us, for us to imagine. But the second part, probably the last 40% of the parable, is focused just on the elder son. Where is the elder son? He's right there, right outside the house, but he refuses to come in because he doesn't like the terms, because he does not want to be there with his younger brother. He thinks it is unfair and unjust that his brother is celebrated, that his brother receives a festival, and he doesn't receive more. The father says, son, everything I have is yours. Come, enjoy, come enter into this feast for your brother. I'm paraphrasing at the end. The point, though, I think that we can draw from that is that the true goodness, the true wholeness, the true health, indeed salvation, is learning not just to be in the Father's house, but learning to love the ways of the Father. For the elder son to be at home in the Father's house means that he must have a conversion relative to his younger brother. For that younger brother to be at home in his Father's house, he must learn to love what he had previously rejected, the very way of his Father. It's all about living together, you could say, in the household of the Father. Jesus is the one who gives us his Father as our Father. And in fact, he joins us, whether we're the younger son or the elder son, to teach us how to be at home in his Father's house. But the change must take place in us by our responsiveness to grace to become and to love what we previously have not been and did not love, the way of the Father and the goodness of one another. Absolutely. Uh, please go out and buy the book, Our Faithful Departed, Where They Are, Why It Matters. It's available at Ave Maria Press, written by Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo, who's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe, we probably have time for, for one more question or, or a comment, whatever you want to do. Talk about the small group discussion, because I think this is great. Not only did you put out a great book, but I think you, you I think a lot of parishes have grieving sessions. And I, mm. I think that this that's very healthy. And I think your your small book discussion could help people talk about like how that could be structured, how people can get that and basically how that could work towards basically them healing. Yeah, I'm really grateful for Avi Maria Press, the publisher, for putting together that discussion guide to go along with the book. And it's it's a beautiful and fantastic discussion guide. I was so pleased with it when I saw it. The idea here, of course, you know, for those who are mourning, I think it is at a certain time perhaps helpful and maybe even healing to read a book like this and have discussions, structured, guided discussions around some of the things that are brought forth there. But I also and probably even more think that it's helpful and healthy and hopeful for people, like I was saying earlier, who are not currently in the throes of grief, who are perhaps not actively mourning right now, to join together, perhaps even with those who are, 
to have these sort of discussions, to enter into this kind of prayer together. This is actually one specific and concrete way in which we can start changing our practices to become more ordered to communion in Christ and less about kind of just tending to what I personally need right now. We share in this conversation, this prayer, this activity with one another. So I'm like, I didn't create the discussion guide. I love the discussion guide. I think it's fantastic. And I think it really opens up even further this kind of avenue for sharing faith with one another, praying with one another, and actually opening our lives just a little bit more open to one another. Absolutely. Doc, you have about a minute left. Any final thoughts, uh, any final comments you'd like for our audience to know about? I think I just emphasize something I, I was just saying and that I've said maybe a couple of times that, you know, when there's a book like this that's about uh, mourning, about exercising communion with our faithful departed, it's easy to think this is for people who are currently grieving. And I want to say to those like myself who are not currently grieving, we will grieve at some point. We will need help. But perhaps our duty now, and in fact, our blessed and privileged duty, is to open ourselves as more of a support and to journey with those who are grieving. And so I hope that what I've offered in this book can be a spur and a help to people, both who are grieving, but maybe even especially who aren't currently grieving, to exercise this communion in Christ more fully. Dr. Leonard Lorenzo, thanks as always for coming back to the show. We really appreciate it. Great conversation. Great book, and like I said, we encourage everybody to go out there and uh, to go out there and buy it. And you know as well, you know I've told you this before. Joe has told you before. You're welcome back here anytime, whether you write the book or you just want to get in some trouble. We'll, <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll help. We'll help I'll you out with that. On that, I love it. All right, love it. Thank you so much. Be, ca- be careful. Be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Please download the app, the Veritas app. We are an EWTN affiliate, so you get all EWTN content and original programming. Share the app with your friends, and if you like what Joe and I do, uh, you can find us on social media, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, You know, help us out. Click a button, like, subscribe, share, uh, follow, do all that fun stuff, and remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.